Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to this podcast on information blocking. I'm Carol Reynolds. I'm an executive strategist here at NetSmart, and I have with me today NetSmart's regulatory strategist, Sherry Whalen. Sherry, why don't you kick off the webinar and start to tell us a little bit about, well, what is information blocking and what aspects of it take effect now or pretty soon and uh, what take effect later and what we have to share. Thanks, Carol. I appreciate you you asking me to join you here. So hi, everyone. Uh, I just want to go over really quickly about information blocking, and it's what we're calling or what's being referred to as the ONC final rule for the Cures Act. This final rule that came out last year in 2020 really goes over information blocking as well as certification requirements, the 2015 certification requirements. These are two distinct parts within the rule. And I know there might have been some confusion before about how these pieces work with each other. And while they're related, they do work independently of each other. And I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. But let me talk about first just information blocking in itself and and what we're looking at there. If you're familiar, the information blocking is really trying to open up avenues of data sharing across all platforms. This was a request that came out of Congress um, to ONC to really start defining what the problems were and what the holdups were in getting that data moving across the platforms. And one of the indications was that there was information blocking happening either on purpose or, or not and how we can start moving that data forward. So. So this rule really is trying to get to the heart of that and what Congress is looking for. So for information blocking for just that part of the rule, ONC defined the actors. If you're a provider, you are an actor. Certified solution providers are an actor and and your health information networks are actors. But we have, we've seen an additional time to start complying with this. The first date now is April 5th of 2021 to comply with the elements of information blocking. Now, this is just the first hurdle. And what this hurdle includes is being able to provide interoperable data in the U.S. CDI or the U.S. Core Data Elements for Interoperability Version 1. ONC has defined that as the data elements that would be used in interoperability between April 5th, 2021 and October 5th, 2022. After that date, which would be October 6, 2022, ONC expects that all EHI information under the HIPAA definition of electronic health information would be interoperable. So that's the second hurdle that we'll have to get through. Right now, we're trying to get to a subset of interoperable data, which I'll talk to in a moment. And then after that, it really opens it up to a much more broad spectrum of data that they are looking to make interoperable. Now, the one, po- one thing I want to point out is there's another section of this 
not just compliance, but also enforcement. So the Office of the Inspector General is under the enforcement aspect of information blocking. And as of mid-March, they have not released a final rule on any kind of civil money penalties. So we even though we are coming up on a compliance date of April 5th, there is no information blocking civil money penalties until there is a final rule from the Office, Office of Inspector General, the OIG, as well as an implementation date from them. Once we get that final rule, there is not a there will not be a retroactive or a retrospective enforcement of penalties. It would only be from the point that the OIG enforces this and moves forward. So it's somewhat of a grace period, and, and ONC has recognized this and actually called that out as a period of time where the industry can really continue to work on their solutions as an industry to, to make this data interoperable. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about the 2015 certification that I mentioned earlier. This was also an element of the ONC final rule on cures, but it's not a requirement for information blocking. It's two distinct parts of the final rule, and they, like I said, they're very independent of each other. So if you have a certified solution, there are requirements that will be updated that are required by um, December 31st, 2022. So you'll see some changes for your certified solution for that aspect of the rule. But if you're not on a certified solution, then that 2015 certification portion of the rule doesn't apply to you. Now, let me talk for a moment about the USCDI data elements. So again, these are data elements that have been defined by the industry. This has already gone through a vetting process through the ONC in previous rulemaking, and they've just used this as that common data set, minimum data set that they're looking for to start moving that data and making it interoperable. Now, I do want to point out that, again, if you're not on a certified solution, there's really not a requirement to use the standard designated data set for each element. What that means is if you have a data element that may be defined in the USCDI certified solution for a LOINC code, to use a very spe specific LOINC code, it's not a requirement for a non-certified solution. They're really just trying to get that data into an interoperable state and getting it moving forward. So with that said, some of the elements they've, they've defined, they've brought them into um, different categories. So I'm going to run through some of those really quickly. We're looking at allergies and intolerances, which include substances or the drug class and medication and those reactions, assessment and plan of treatment, your care team members, clinical notes, which include consultation notes, discharge summary notes, history and physicals, imaging narratives, laboratory report narratives, pathology report narratives, procedure notes, progress notes, patient goals, health concerns, immunizations, lab tests and values and results, medications, all of the patient demographics, including birth, sex, ethnicity, race, and preferred language, problems defined, procedures, and provenance, which is the author timestamp and author organization on the data elements, which is important when you're importing and exporting data that came from either internal to your solution or external into your solution. And then 
smoking status, unique device identifiers for implantable devices, and then vital signs such as your blood pressure, body height, weight, heart rate, respiratory, pulse ox, BMIs, weight for length percentile from birth to 36 months, and head for occipital um, frontal circumference, so the, the head. So that was just a quick review, but I want to point out that there are probably elements here that you're thinking, I don't have that, nor do I collect it. And that's okay. You don't have to go out and start collecting that information if that's not part of what you currently um, have available to you or is a part of your workflow. For example, in the post-acute care perspective, there may be some pediatrics, but that's not something that um, most of the post-acute care providers really have available to them. So they wouldn't have the, the weight and length percentile and the, the head circumference at birth and, and all of those elements. So by not having those data elements, it does not make you an information blocker because it's not information you could provide. You don't have to start collecting data that isn't um, specific to what you already have available to you. There are some additional needs around clinical notes, and I'm going to turn it over to Carol to talk about that. Well, thank you, Sherry. I can take the clinical notes part. I think it's a paradigm shift for everyone to start thinking of the clinical record as being owned by the individual. And I think that's one of the major things that information blocking was trying to get at, and thus clinical notes come into view. They're new to the data exchange. We've been working with certifications for a long time. These have not been required in any previous certifications. The definition is fairly comprehensive that they gave us on clinical notes, stating that they can be composed of both structured and non-structured data. So structured data would be things like drop-down lists or pick lists, check boxes, and Unstructured data, that's what we all know best, and that's just writing in a text box or free text. A clinical note may include a lot of different things, a history, a review of systems, physical data, assessment data, treatment plan data, even patient teaching data could be included as part of the clinical notes. The rule specifically calls out as in all of these as inclusive consultation notes, discharge summaries, history and physicals, laboratory narratives, procedure notes, and progress notes. But there are a few exclusions that are really important to take into consideration. Um, the first of these that I'll talk about is psychotherapy notes. So if you have a psychiatrist that writes psychotherapy notes within your system, you can go to CFR 45, part 164, and read the definition of a psychotherapy note. That's the one that we're basing this conversation on, but it's a note recorded in any medium by a healthcare provider who's a mental health professional documenting or analyzing the contents of a conversation during a counseling session. So you'll need to work with your EHR vendor if you do psychotherapy notes on how you can flag them so that they don't have to be included when you're sharing information as part of the information blocking. And I think the second important consideration here is there is a preventing harm exception, allowing you to not share notes if you have a significant reason to believe that not sharing the notes will prevent harm. So this exception recognizes that the public interest is there in protecting patients and other persons against unreasonable risks of harm. 
and that that trumps the information blocking or the information sharing part of this, that if you feel that there's a reason that harm would be caused, that you could not share that information. But you have to hold that as a reasonable belief. And they recommend strongly that the, your practice should be consistent with however you decide not to share that information and document that in your organizational policy. There's a few other exceptions that come into play, but the two we just talked about were pretty major ones that could apply to many different organizations. But the other exceptions center around privacy, security, infeasibility, and even HIT performance. This all flows into one area of compliance that can easily be overlooked when you're working towards information blocking, and that is training and education. There are really two areas of training and education to think about here, one for your associates and one for the consumer. So for associates, this isn't all new. It shouldn't all be new because they've had to deal with HIPAA requests for some time. But what is new is a lot of terminology, a lot of acronyms. I know Sherry said a number of times, USCDI, the United States Core Data for Interoperability, most of the time, your associates aren't going to know what that means when you say it, and they probably don't have to except for that there's clear definitions of what that data should look like. Definitions of clinical notes, they might not understand that. And very importantly, they might not understand your policy. How are you going to do it? How are you going to share this information? Where are you going to record the requests that are coming in for data sharing? Where are you going to record what you shared with those people and what you didn't share? All of that needs process and procedure wrapped around it. And that filters on a lot of the, the education that you need to provide those individuals. But there's similarities to what you've already done and taught people on the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. But now let's discuss the consumer. This isn't new to the consumer either. They could have via HIPAA, requested copies of their, their health information historically, but many of them didn't request it. The primary difference between HIPAA and information blocking is the information you share needs to be provided in a machine-readable format. Sharing data electronically is the new part. So many organizations are thinking about enhancing the patient experience by helping educate patients about the privacy and security of health information, the importance of keeping that information confidential and not sharing it and not being loose with that information. That was recommended by ONC as a step that organizations might want to take as that proactive education to consumers. But second, many organizations are shifting to what I call proactive education. So for example, many healthcare providers today delay the release of lab results in an attempt to protect patients from misinterpreting those results or learning about uh, potentially life-altering results without guidance and perspective from their practitioner. I know that's what my practitioner does is I don't have the ability to see those lab results until I have a conversation with that practitioner. Well, that could now be construed as information blocking. And one way some organizations are getting around that is when they go to do a lab test, have the conversation with me 
before I would have an opportunity to see the results. Hey, Carol, with this test, there's two possible outcomes. One would be negative, in which case we're going to continue with the group therapy sessions that you're in right now for another two months. And if the result is positive, we're going to supplement what we're already doing with a new medication. So if it's positive, I'm going to have a phone conversation with you and prescribe the medication, and we'll just try it for 90 days, and then we'll probably do a retest. Document that education, document that conversation. Uh, it's a uh, it's a good part to have as, or good to have that as part of the consumer's chart. We've discussed today a lot of internal policy changes that you should be considering as part of information blocking. This should complement your HIPAA policy and practice policies about sharing your patients' data. Uh, a reminder, Sherry, the date is what? April? April 5th, 2021 is the, the beginning of the compliance period. So with this plan, ONC's ultimate goal is a universal health record to spark better care, to spark better care coordination, and to ultimately increase patient outcomes. Information blocking is another giant step towards meeting that goal but it requires some internal changing, a lot of internal policy documentation and a bunch of training. I hope that uh, you got uh, some good, great information about this. We have this information blocking series and look forward to providing you the next one in the series. Thanks for joining. Thank you. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.